Um, let's look at Matthew 7. Open to Matthew 7, verse 24. If you were here for fall retreat last year, I believe, um, that Friday night um, I preached out of this passage. But I think this passage is really, really important for the Christian life. It comes at the end of a very significant portion of Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is how Jesus wrapped everything up in that sermon. This is what he says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So the difference between having a house that's established and not established is not in hearing the word, although that's important. It's in doing the word. So as the winds and rains and storms of your environment start to hit you, as you exit this campus, what's going to sustain you, sustain the house that you've built, is whether you do the things Jesus has said to do, whether you practice it. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you enliven our hearts, you motivate our hearts to do what you've called us to do, not within our own strength, not within our own power, but because you have equipped us to do it by your spirit. So God, may that give us great confidence to apply your grace to our efforts, to apply your grace to our thoughts and our actions, and to see your grace fulfilled in what we do. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when I say that we change by the power of the Spirit or by the work of the Holy Spirit, there's a few misunderstandings or misapplications that a lot of us start to have. And I say this because these are misunderstandings and misapplications that I've had in my own life. The first misunderstanding is this. I have no responsibility in my transformation. Since we change by the power of the Spirit, then we assume that, okay, this means that God's going to do it all. The common phrase is let go and let God. But another way, we assume that this means that we do not have to do anything. We believe that God will simply change us. We just have to let it happen. And there's some element of surrender there that's really, really important to understanding that you're completely dependent on the Spirit. But there's a disconnect there in understanding how the Spirit works. Alongside that misunderstanding, there's this other one that we just need to try really, really hard. We see what the Christian life is, and this means we just really need to try really hard. We need to buckle down, get serious, and just go all in and have all of our effort towards this. And this is the idea that not that effort is is important, but effort at the moment is how we change. That's a, that's, that's a very big misunderstanding. This idea that the power of the Spirit 
Um, the Holy Spirit gives you supernatural and immediate miraculous power to change in the moments that you need to change. If you just really try hard, then you'll succeed at being more like Jesus in those important moments. A lot of us just assume that the Spirit's going to um, change us in those moments that we need change specifically. See, both of these under misunderstandings majorly stunt your growth. If you think that this is how the Spirit of God works, it's going to stunt your growth. The Spirit of God does not change you by just taking over your, your body and controlling your mind and using you as a puppet to do what Jesus did. The Spirit of God does not put you in some like hypnotic state to be a Christian. Um, I actually have a funny story. My grandma was hypnotized to not like chocolate, and she does not like chocolate. I'd be like, Grandma, you want some cake? Like on family vacations, she'd be like, Taylor don't you remember? I'm like, oh, yes. And, she, and, then she, and I'm like, you, you don't have to go on. And she's like, Taylor, I was hypnotized. And I don't like chocolate anymore. I'm like, okay. And she legit just does not eat chocolate. But she explains every time, I was hypnotized, Taylor. You know? And she's from New Jersey, so it's more of like, you know, I can't, I'm not going to try a Jersey accent because I know I would just completely fail right now. Um, no, no, stop. Um, but we, a, lot, a lot of times we have this idea that when we have been taken over by the Holy Spirit, when we have been filled with the Holy Spirit, that means that he's just going to take over and like in a hypnotic-like state, he's going to change us to do what we need to do. And I would say that the Holy Spirit doesn't like brainwash you or put you into some sort of like catatonic state to make you more like Jesus or hypnotic state to make you more like Jesus. The Spirit of God actually works through you. And that means that he's going to change you, not by just miraculously in the moment immediately changing you, but by changing your loves, your mind, your beliefs, your thoughts, your actions, and your habits and your practices. So you are very much active in your transformation. You are not passive. You are not simply receiving the transformation of the Spirit. You are being activated by the Spirit to be transformed and to be changed. It's a very, very important thing. So also the Spirit does not simply give you the miraculous ability to immediately change by trying really hard. I would love that, right? If, we, if I could just, the Holy Spirit would zap me into being a patient father, that would be awesome. But that's not how the Holy Spirit changes me. Now, there are times in our life where the Holy Spirit may do that, where he may just break an addiction or I'll give you the obedience for a certain moment. Um, but generally, the Holy Spirit trains us to love our enemy. He trains us to be generous. He trains us not to get angry or not be anxious in those moments, um, not only in those moments when we need to love or not be anxious, but in the everyday moments of our life. Dallas Willard says this, It is part of the misguided and whimsical condition of humankind that we so devoutly believe in the power of effort at the moment of action alone to accomplish what we want, and we completely ignore the need for character change in our lives as a whole. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. I think a lot of us want certain things. We want to be more like Jesus, but we ignore the whole life, the way of life that's necessary to train us in that. So we want immediate change for those moments. Um, but Scott Peck says this, the painful fact that we all have to wrestle with is this. 
We have to start at the beginning and go through the middle. We have to start at the beginning and go through the middle. There's no zap to the end. We must walk and journey through the process of being made more like Jesus. Not because uh, the Spirit is incapable of bringing you miraculous change, but the Spirit wants to change you by you growing daily in your loves, growing daily in your habits and your practices. So the Spirit of God teaches us and trains us in daily obedience, in the lifestyle of Jesus, in the practices of Jesus. And if the Spirit is going to change our lives, he's going to change our days. He's going to change our everyday life. So one of the main applications of saying that we change by the power of the Spirit is this, that our transformation does not come naturally. We do not change naturally. It does not come from within ourselves, our own strength or our own willpower, but from the power of God. In a sort of irony, this gives us a lot of confidence to know that at the same time, it's teaching us that this transformation doesn't come naturally, but yet we have a supernatural power that can train us and teach us for this change. So obedience does not come naturally. It's something that we must learn. As Paul said in our first passage that we talked about on Friday night, part of putting on the new self concerns us having learned Christ. So we need to learn obedience in the same that we have learned Christ. In other words, when you put on the new self and you learn obedience, it has to do something It has to have something to do with you putting on the lifestyle, adopting the lifestyle of Jesus. So this is what Dallas Willard says. We have to adopt Jesus's form of life. And further than that, we cannot adopt his form of life without engaging in his disciplines. If we want the life of Jesus, then we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And if we want to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, we need to engage in the practices of Jesus. So let's pause right here and cut off just a really important rabbit trail. Are we saying that if you just do what Jesus did, then you will be like Jesus? No. We're not saying that. We need to reverse those things. If we are to become like Jesus, then we will do what Jesus did. If you are to become like Jesus, you are to do what Jesus did. That's actually so so clearly evident that that's how that works. We just need to do what Jesus did if we are to become more like Jesus. So the inevitable part of being a follower of Jesus, being made alive in Christ, is having your life filled with the Holy Spirit who indwells you. And that means that he's going to bring about a new life that looks like the life of Jesus. So it's impossible to have the life of Jesus without the indwelling of the Spirit, yes, But that new life, marked by actions and practices, is the essential overflow of the Spirit in us. So let's not rip those two things apart. Becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did, we cannot rip those two things apart. If we're going to become like Jesus, we need to do what Jesus did. And all of this, we're talking about a very important principle of human nature, who have how God has designed you. We've already made this point already this weekend that you're all being changed into something, right? We're all moving towards something. Another way to say this is that we have a dynamic existence. We're always moving towards some goal, some vision, some uh, telos, some vision of what is the good life. 
right now, you have in your mind and in your heart a vision of what the good life is. And you are pursuing that. Whether that good life is good or bad, truly, but you are pursuing some goal. You are not just static. You are pursuing something. Whether that's just feelings to get you through the day, but you are all pursuing something. James K.A. Smith, in his book, You Are What You Love, says this. To be human is to be animated and oriented by some vision of the good life, some picture of what we think counts as flourishing. And we want that. We crave it. We desire it. So not only is our life defined by some goal or vision, but our life is motivated with desires in that direction. So your heart acts like a compass pointing you to the right direction and an engine that propels you towards that vision or goal. So your heart is pointing you and propelling you to some vision of the good life. So if who I am as a human being is wrapped up in this vision of the good life, and this vision is motivated by my heart or my loves, then the major way I change is by having my heart changed. If who I am is defined by what I love, then how I change is enacted by changing my loves, changing my heart. If I want to change or I want to become someone, then my heart, the compass, the engine of my life needs to be changed. And that's what we're talking about here. The Holy Spirit changes us by changing our heart, the compass, and the engine of our life, our desires, our longings, our loves. The Spirit does not just immediately zap you into the person you're supposed to be. He changes you from the inside out, meaning he changes you along the process that God has designed you to change by. So how do our hearts change? How do we change what we love? Can we even change the things we love? That's a really good question. There are certainly some things that I wish I didn't love. Like, I wish I did not love the immediate caffeine rush I get from a coffee. Like, I wish I didn't love that. Because then my health would be better. I would sleep better. I would be probably a better father. wouldn't be as irritable with, in student ministry. Um, these retreats would go a lot better, probably. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows the, the options available to us if Taylor was off caffeine? I wish I didn't love soy sauce on my sushi. That would be better for me. I, here, I wish I loved getting up at 4 a.m. in the morning, going on a light jog, and then coming, coming back to my family in the morning, making them breakfast, praying in silence, and then everyone just wakes up, you know, and there's the smell of bacon. Taylor's already exercised and prayed. He's in a great mood. I wish I loved that, but here's the thing. I don't love that. I don't. I would love to love that, but I don't love that, right? I want to want that, but I don't want that. Some of you may be like that about reading your Bible or prayer, you would love to go to Scripture and love that experience, but you just don't. You would love to spend 10 minutes in prayer before you go to school, but you don't love those things. So I ask again, how do I change my heart? How do I change my love? How do I go from I would love to love that to I love that? How do I go from I want to want that to I want that, I desire that? Well, we've got to add it a little bit this weekend, right? We've talked about how we change. 
In order to change, we need to believe a different story. We need to be taught something differently. There has to be a renewal of our minds. But let's be honest, we do not simply think our way into changing. I wish that was the case. Again, I would love to be like, it would be, you know, be a patient person. That's good. And then I'm a patient person. I'm at it. Automatically, right? Wouldn't that be awesome if we just think our way into changing? But that's not how it works. So we need something more than just a change in our thinking or a change in our beliefs in order to change. We also need a new community. We talked about that last night. If we're going to change, we need to do so with the other people in this room. We need to do so with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of the same community we are, building us up, encouraging us in love. We need that extra support and encouragement. But still, there's even more important principles to how we change. We change through our habits. Our loves, our hearts, our desires are shaped by our habits. The rhythms and routines of our lives shape and form our loves and desires. Your habits are not just things that you do. Your habits, your rhythms, your routines in life, they're shaping you to love certain things, meaning that they are putting you on a path towards some vision of the good life. So if I wake up every morning and routinely grab a cell phone and scroll through Instagram likes and comments, that habit is actually creating something in me It's creating me a priority for entertainment. It's creating me a priority for a love for self-esteem, attention, connectivity, good or bad. Or if you spend eight hours a day on TikTok, go to a doctor first. But secondly, realize that you are training yourself. You are training your loves, your cravings, your desires to love that even more. And you get stuck in a cycle of just habit of, of, of certain loves. So, in fact, what's happening is when you engage in things routinely and habitually, you develop a greater desire for them. The more you habitually engage in things, the greater desire you have for them, for both good and bad things. In fact, most of the things you do do not come from you thinking about doing them. They come from your second nature. They come from the overflow of your habits. Um, I think a great illustration of this is, this may be scary to you if you don't drive, but a lot of times I drive to work, and I, was, I like get there, I'm like, oh, wow, I just drove to work. Yeah, right? So once you start driving for a while, what you realize is, because when you first get in a car, rightfully so, you're like, all right, there's the line. There's the outside white line. I'm going to stay there. There's a car coming, and you get a little anxious. You're like, I can do it, right? You're just hypersensitive. You're hyperthinking about what you're doing, and you're trying to situate yourself on the road for the first time. But after about a year or two, some of you, maybe a few more years, once you (laughs) start developing this habit, you do it without thinking. It just becomes second nature to you, and you're cruising, And you do it without thinking. Um, So this is because when we regularly, routinely, habitually do things, it becomes a habit, so much so that it becomes part of our second nature. And that's what habits do. They form in us things that become second nature, and they shape our loves and our desires. So here's the thing. The Spirit of God will change us in the same way. 
Yeah, I have that point up there. The Spirit of God will change us in the same way. God has designed us to work this way, okay? This is how God has designed us to be formed and to be changed. So for our loves to motivate and orient us and our practices to shape our loves, that's how God designed us. And the Holy Spirit will change us in accordance with God's design. So this is what John Mark Comer says. So spiritual formation is not a Christian thing. It's a human thing. We are all being formed every single minute of every single day. The question is not, are you being formed, but who or what are you being formed into? So if we want to change our lives, we have to change our loves. And if we want to change our loves, we have to change our habits. So if our lives are changed by our hearts and our loves being changed, and if our loves are shaped by habits, then this means that the Spirit of God will change us by reforming our hearts through new practices. That is how the Spirit of God will change you. Again, He will not just take over your body and make you do Christian things as much as we would all love that. He does not just give you immediate, at-the-moment effort to do things. He changes you by reforming your heart through new practices. And this is a process over time that you must engage in with patience and daily obedience. So the first act of the Spirit, He softens our hearts. He breaks the hardness of our hearts, and He gives us a new heart. This is how Scripture describes the work of the Spirit. So that our hearts can then once again be changed, molded, and shaped to love God and obey Him. This is how the Spirit is spoken of in the prophets in anticipation for the new covenant. This is what He says. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So notice here, what Ezekiel is saying. He's saying that the new covenant is going to be brought about by the Messiah Jesus, and when he comes, he's going to give us a new heart where the Spirit of God dwells in us so that we can walk in obedience. So that the Spirit of God can transform us with a new heart which then equip us for new practices. So if we've been given a new heart through Jesus and have been filled with the Holy Spirit, then this will cause us, this will cause us to walk in new practices. This is the point that Paul makes very clear in Ephesians 4, the passage that you all um, soaped or carved through this morning. In this passage, Uh, In the passage from Friday night, Paul talks about we have learned Christ, we've received Christ, and so we are to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. So we've received something by grace, but that grace should be active in us, right? We've sang a song all weekend by grace. uh, What's the actual name? Grace alone, right? Talking about grace, 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 grace. One thing you need to understand is that grace is active. It is not passive. When God gives you grace, he gives you the heart, the desires, and the practices to change. He doesn't just immediately change you, although sometimes that happens. But generally speaking, 
when, when God gives you grace, it is the power to, change, to have your heart changed, your desires changed, and then your practices changed. So grace is often given to us as an active power that we should then act on or work out as God works in. So from this whole idea of putting on Christ, as we've been clothed in Christ, we're also called to put on Christ. Paul lists what that putting on of the new self looks like. And that's the passage you guys read through this morning. All of what Paul is describing is what it looks like to put on the new self. And I'm going to reread um, three paragraphs from that. And just what I want you to see, I want you to see how Paul lands the Christian life, not in just some abstract theories, but in everyday life. How it changes how you live your everyday life. So this is what he says in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Right? Don't lie. Tell the truth to one another. Be angry and do not sin, meaning love the right things. And you should should love the things, or you should get angry about the things that threaten what God loves and what you love. So do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal meaning let his life be changed around, and rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God. Think about that. That is not simply a, a thought process. That is a way of life, to be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And the list goes on. Here's the point. I don't think Paul is just giving us a list of commands that we should follow now since we're followers of Jesus. Yes, that's true in some sense, but I think the more prevalent idea is this, that this is a picture of the life that has been filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's a list of new practices. We could say the same for the famous Sermon on the Mount. Oswald Chambers said this about the Sermon on the Mount. It's a statement of the life we live when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. That's what this list is. Paul is doing the same thing. This is a picture of the life when we live with the Holy Spirit getting his way with us. When the Holy Spirit has taken control of our spiritual formation, it's a life change that changes our habits, our actions, and our practices. So do my practices show that the Holy Spirit is getting his way with me? 
Do your practices show that the Holy Spirit is getting his way with you? Who is changing you? Who are you becoming? Does your life look more and more like the life of Jesus? And I can raise my hand with you and say, sometimes no. I can raise my hand and say that honestly. There are some things I need to grow in. There are other times when the, by the grace of God that I can say, yes, I look back a year ago and God is changing me. Praise God. Praise God God is changing me in that. And what I'm trying to do, I'm not trying to instill in you guilt, right? There is no condemnation in Christ, but I'm simply trying to recalibrate our hearts to once again call us to a life and remind us that this is the life and the process we're a part of. No, we are not yet perfect. Even Paul says that. He wrote half the New Testament and he says, I haven't arrived yet. It's like, whew, good. Thank you, Paul, for that. But if we are followers of Jesus, then we're not yet perfect, but we are in a process of being made like Jesus. And so what I'm asking, and the only thing that we should probe our hearts for is, are we in that process? Is that the change that's being worked in me? Am I in the day in and day out process of being made more like Jesus? If not, then God says, come to me. You are weary. You are heavy laden. You've been working towards something that is pointless. It's vanity of vanities. But Jesus says, come to me. I'll give you rest. Not rest from becoming like Jesus, but rest from finding true fulfillment for that work. And in that, it becomes easy. It becomes an easy yoke. So all of the pain and struggle that you're wrestling through and who you're trying to be, Jesus says to quiet your soul and find your true identity in Jesus. He will make you who you need to be. For the others of us in the room, if you're becoming more like Jesus, if you're in that process, and yes, you have ups and downs, you have doubts and difficulties, but yet you know that you're in that process, then I want to challenge us with some practical things to do to continue in that process. Because here's the thing. Since we are unintentionally changed by our environments, then it's really easy to agree with all of this and commit to this here at Fall Retreat. It is really easy because of the environment here, because the story here is the story of the gospel. The relationships here are your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. The habits here are ones filled with worship services and assigned soap times and reflection times and et cetera, right? The environment here is helping you change to be more like Jesus. But the difficult part of following Jesus is when your environment is trying to change you into someone that the Spirit is not. And you all live in those environments. We all live in those environments. So like the environment of your school, social media, or for some of you, even your homes. We have to be honest that our environments are not trying to help us be more like Jesus sometimes. So we have to get serious about how we can ourselves carry our spiritual formation or be carried in our spiritual formation beyond fall retreat. We have to intentionally allow the Holy Spirit to change us and be the primary agent of change. Um, and so there were those three areas that we talked about this weekend. The story, as we are unintentionally formed by the stories of our environment, this means that we must be intentionally taught the biblical story or the gospel story. 
You have to remind yourself of that. As we are all unintentionally formed by our relationships, this means that we must be intentionally building community. We have to intentionally seek to build one another up in love and being more like Jesus. As all of us are unintentionally formed by our habits, this means that we must be intentionally practicing spiritual disciplines. So there are three elements, three areas of application there. Be taught the biblical story, build community, and practice spiritual disciplines. If we want to be changed by the Holy Spirit, this is how we can go about that. Be taught the biblical story, build community, and practice spiritual disciplines. Nonetheless, this still seems a little abstract, right? These sound like the same practical applications we give with every fall retreat, every denial, every Sunday night even. It's do these things, do these things. I think they're a little abstract, and what I want to do is formulate them into what we can call a way of life or a rule of life. Justin Early, in his book, The Common Rule, he describes a rule of life as a pattern of communal habits for formation. So a rule of life, it's been used throughout church history. There's some famous ones, not to be harsh or burdensome, but to provide structure and direction for our growth. So the important thing for us to note here is that we do not simply need to implement a few changes here and there, but we need to reorient our whole entire way of life to become more like Jesus. Everything we do needs to feed our desire to be more like Jesus. So Justin Early, he suggests a common rule of life. He wrote a book on this, and it looks a little like this. I'm not saying uh, that this should be the precise way of life that you should adopt, but it's a great model if you don't know where to start. He offers four daily practices and four weekly practices. Again, these are practices, meaning practice takes time, and it's hard at times, but it gets easier and easier as you continue to do them. So the four daily practices he suggests are kneeling prayer three times a day. He says it's very important that we interact with our bodies when we pray and position ourselves in such a way where we're also training our bodies to be involved in that process. And I would say... Um, also, uh, incorporating silence and solitude would be really important. Um, he says, have one meal with others every day. Turn your phone off for one hour every day. And always study and meditate over Scripture before your phone. Those are the four daily practices he suggests. Uh, the four weekly practices are to have one hour of true, deep conversation with a friend once a week. Be intentional about that. Cut back your media intake, he said, to four hours per week. Um, I'll be honest, that, that could be tough for you guys. You, I mean, the studies show that your screen time averages around eight hours a day. That's mostly all media. And uh, that could be tough. But start. Try something. Move in the right direction and ask people to help you. Uh, fast from something for 24 hours. Um, take a Sabbath day to rest. These are weekly practices. Again, some of these may sound drastic to you or sound completely foreign or strange to you. Like, you, I don't even know what you just said. I don't even know what fasting is. I don't even know what Sabbath is. And actually, what we're going to do in March 
and Dean, for DNOW is we are going to provide skills training, basically, for practices along these lines. may not be these exact ones, but we are going to teach you guys directly and specifically how to do these things. What does it look like for you to pray? What does it look like for you to sit down and actually fast for a day? How do we do that? So um, we'll go more in depth with those later. But what I really love about this model is that it's both formative and counterformative. This is the chart that he gives. Um, it recognizes that there are some new practices that we need to embrace, right? There's some new practices we need to embrace, but there's also some practices of the world that we need to resist. So there's new practices that help us resist those things. And they either move us towards loving God or loving others. Again, this is getting at our hearts. These practices train us to either love God or love others. They're not just empty practices. They train us to love God and love others. So it recognizes that there are some old cultural practices that you need to resist in order to be more like Jesus. And there's some new proactive practices that you need to embrace to be more like Jesus. So we need to be active about not conforming to the world and also being active about being transformed into the image of Jesus. Also, these practices um, incorporate the community that we need to change. Some of us may be hesitant to call eating a meal with someone a spiritual practice or discipline, but when you look at the life of Jesus, that was something that he did often. The gospel writers say that Jesus came eating and drinking, and that was important for the community he was with. So incorporating a meal with your friends or your family every day is actually an important spiritual discipline. And it's very, very important for you being encouraged by them, built up by them to be more like Jesus. So um, this is also really important. It emphasizes that Jesus is not uh, simply operating on Sundays or Wednesdays, but on the everyday, ordinary moments of your life. If transformation is going to happen, it's going to take place in the everyday, ordinary, routine moments of our life, around dinner tables, in the quiet hours before you eat breakfast, in these moments throughout your day. This is how the Spirit will change us. He will transform every area of our lives. So again, this is just a model, and it's just to show you that we need to get serious, if we're followers of Jesus, about having a new way of life in Jesus. And that's what God's about. God is about that. This weekend, we've seen that we need to change. We have to. We're dead in our sins apart from Jesus. It's not that, well, we're just okay without Jesus. No, we are dead in our sin apart from Jesus. We've also seen that the story that we are living and the story of our salvation is one that is declaring God will change us to be more like Jesus by the Spirit for his glory. That is the story that we're a part of. The Spirit will do this in much the same way God has designed us to change as human beings through teaching us the true story, building us up as the church community, and by giving us a new heart for new practices. So if we're followers of Jesus, then this is what we are about. God has saved us to change us, to be more like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit for his glory.
God has saved us to change us to be more like Jesus by the power of the Spirit for his glory. Let's be about that. Becoming more like Jesus. Because as we do that, the world will see Jesus in us. Be saved by our Savior and surrender to the Lord. We know will make everything new. That's what God's about. Transforming his people so that he can transform his world.